0: Father, we come now to open your word together. We ask through your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts and our minds. Meet each one of us today, Lord, where we have need and, and, uh, Lord, where we need to draw close to you, minister to us. And thank you, Father, for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to open your word publicly in a place like this. And we pray for those this morning around the globe that have not had that freedom and ask your blessing on them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <coughs> You're welcome. We're going to be sharing this morning from Romans chapter 12 uh, verses 4 and 5 and also 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 probably through 21 maybe I'm not I may have missed one there but anyway starting with chapter 12 of Romans verses 4 and 5 For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And then out of 2 Corinthians chapter five. Verse seventeen Paul writes, Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. All this is from God For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Last week, we talked about the members of the body of Christ, being members of one another. And it is an amazing thing in the sense of the the diversity that we are. Each one of us, absolutely a unique individual. I mean, that always amazes me in the sense of, of creation that, you know, between things like DNA and genetic codes and fingerprints and, and all of these kinds of things, how amazingly different each of us are and how amazingly the same we are when it comes to our heartbeat and all the rest. And so, uh, I, and, and all of the different kinds of things that God created in creation. I mean, there's still some that seem to surface from the depths of the sea occasionally that we've yet to be able to look at and say, oh, I've seen one of those before. It's kind of like, oh, what's this? And we just constantly see God in the amazing idea of diversity. And yet it's all one creation. We are all one people, one church, different and yet in one body. And so we, Paul uses that picture of the body, like you know, or the hand or the foot or, or the eye or the mouth or the ear, with that intent of saying that we need each other to be complete. And I had mentioned, I think last week, uh, the number of people that I've known over the years, sometimes in church in the first season and out of church, some of them coming to Christ but never quite getting into church, uh, and always with that attitude, well, we can, we, can, we can find God wherever we go, when we're out in the woods or when we're out in the streams, when we're out here or out there. And by all means, that is a true statement. Wherever you go, God is there. But there are certain facets of what God has put together in the sense of how we come together that is involved in fellowship. We're told to sing psalms and, and, and minister to one another and encourage one another and bring good words to one another. And, and how are we going to do that if we don't come together and to meet with one another? We're sold, you know, told to sing praises together to glorify the Lord. In fact, we see that in the uh, book of Acts, when the church began, it's what they, they gathered together to share in the teaching of the apostles to sing together, and to pray together, and to break bread together. And so the need for the fellowship, the need to come together, the need to be sharing and ministering one to another, bringing all our uniqueness to the table to minister to one another. In fact, we'll get into this uh, uh, later on, and not today, but down the road, as far as spiritual gifts. God has given us all at least one spiritual gift to bring to the ministry of the body of Christ. And so he, needs, he, he calls us to be together in fellowship, one body. And within the framework of that, we are called to be ambassadors then to the world, to come together as a body, but then to be ambassadors to the world. Take the message of Christ, and that's where I want to focus this morning. Paul said, and it says again in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And then he says in verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled us to him. So we have to start here. He reconciled us, God reconciled us to himself, God. And I wanted to look at this picture of reconciled. The idea of a a reconciliation is two parties brought into agreement and to be at peace with each other. They have been reconciled. Well, there's an automatic inverse, if you will, of that. And that is that there's a need for a reconciliation. In other words, there's been a disagreement and that there has been a sense of not at peace. In other words, we wouldn't need reconciliation if there wasn't a disagreement and a lack of peace. And yet God says we have been brought into reconciliation with himself. If that's the case, then we must have been in that inverse class at at, at some point. Not at peace with God in need of reconciliation, a disagreement of some kind. And I just simply put it, man and God, not at peace. And to look at that, we see that as we look around, in general, in our culture today, and globally, Man is seeking a world without God. I want you to grasp that part because this is important. Man is seeking a world without God. I go back to the humanist manifesto that was signed by educators and, and, and politicians and, and global, people of global position uh, back in the thirties, 1930s. And one of the statements that's made very distinctly there is that there is no savior coming to rescue man. Man must save himself. Well, that's been repeated over and over again. Every time this this document, if you will, has been rewritten, that part has been left in, with more and more of the rest of it moving towards that end in the sense that we don't need God. In fact, they take the position, there is no God. So, man seeking a world without God. No recognition of God from creation on, in the sense of of looking at the, the things of the world. Refusal to see his words as inspired or sovereign. He has absolutes. God has absolutes, but the world looks at it at best as opinions. Oh, that's your opinion. Or that's what this says, but that's just an idea. Or more so uh, today, oh, that's an old idea. It's an antiquated idea. It may have worked 500 years ago, 800 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2 millennia ago. But it's not for today. It's something of ancient time. Antiquity. Others will even take the picture of the purpose of God in a sense of looking at his word and just say, oh, this is interesting literature. And leave it there. Paul said that the teachings of Christ, the gospel, the message of God's reconciliation with man would be viewed by the world as a whole as foolishness. When we take our Christian worldview as believers in Christ, we start with certain givens, if you will, certain absolutes. For for instance, God is sovereign, absolutely, period. He is sovereign. There is nothing higher than him. He's the creator of everything. There is nothing that exists that did not come through him. His words are truth. Absolutely. There is, as you go to his word, when it says that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that's it. When it says that there is no other name under heaven by which you might be saved, that's it. When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. That is it. The Christian worldview, the, 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 the place that we live, if you will, in the sense of our thinking, is based on these absolutes. As the world looks at it and says archaic or foolish or whatever they choose to say about it, we turn around and we say, No, it's the truth. And as we go to God's Word, His character is revealed to us. God is holy, absolutely pure in His thought of, and good, totally righteous. No hint of shadow or sin. Totally just. God, excuse me, never makes a wrong decision. Ever. I've looked around over time, and I have to confess that there are decisions that, God had obviously made that I wasn't real excited about. Even asked at times that he might consider reversing them. Instead of, as somebody shared with me just yesterday, learning how to rest in them with confidence that he knows what will work out for my best interest, period. His character is revealed to us. And he has shown us in his word that in order for us, man, to be in fellowship with him, we also need to be holy and righteous without sin. Scripture says it very clearly. Be ye holy as I am holy, referring to God. To be at peace and in fellowship with God, we must be holy and righteous without sin. But the Bible also points another thing out to us. Man has missed God's holiness. He's missed the mark. He's missed the target, the bullseye. We have sinned. and Not just a few of us. Not just a lot of us. But all of us. Every one of us. Resulting in being separated from God. I'll use the word alienated. Not at peace with God. God's response to this, Scripture tells us that he is grieved, disappointed, displeased that his law has been ignored, that his word rejected, and ultimately his son rejected. And yet we see in the midst of his word a plan that reveals the heart's desire of God to reconcile man to himself to bring man to peace with himself man i i was going to say can't come but it's it's really not just can't come he won't come because of his because of our fallen sinful nature we don't this isn't something that we turn we're We don't start out seeking reconciliation with God. We need to have our eyes open. God must open our eyes, our heart, in order for us to be reconciled. And in the midst of this, too, we need to understand that because we have sinned, in order for God to be righteous and just, he must punish our sin. The dilemma for us, when we look at that, is that if God punishes us for our sin, that finishes our relationship with him, and there is no reconciliation, because the wages of sin is death. The punishment is death. It calls for a permanent, complete, total separation from him. And so here's the, the picture. God says that he is holy and righteous and just. That we must be holy and righteous and just to be with him. But we have all sinned, fall short of his glory. As a result, we all deserve to be punished. And the punishment must be carried out. It must be carried out. if it's not then God has not been just. If God has not been just then he has sin and we know that we're just saying but that's not the case therefore in order for God's justice to prevail for his holiness to stand, sin must be punished. As you look at this becomes an impossible thing for us and you realize that all the weight of this idea of reconciliation rests on God I look at it and I I put in a box of course I you've seen my notes some of you you're crazy but I in a box here it says sounds overwhelming bob How can it be done? And when I look at it from my ability or from any man's ability, I'm saying that's true. It's overwhelming. It can't be done. And yet for God, I'm going to make a statement that I think is just one of the most overwhelming things I can say in the sense of God's grace and his mercy and his love. For God, it's already been accomplished. He's seen it accomplished before the foundation of the world. Because he is sovereign in all things and before all things. And the plan of of man and creation and salvation, his need for salvation, all came in in the sense before the foundation of the world. God saw the whole picture and brought it into a plan that would make it work. There's no second thoughts here on God's part, by the way. It's not like, oh, man, we blew it. Now what are we going to do? Oh, well, we could save them. Before the foundation of the world, the plan was in place. He's already accomplished it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. For our sakes he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin. He didn't know sin, meaning he was innocent of sin. He was totally holy and righteous and sinless. And yet God made him to be sin on our behalf. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean he became a sinner, but all of sin rested on him. So that we might become the righteousness of God. That we might be reconciled to God. What you have to see here very clearly then. Is that this plan begins and ends with God. There's nothing for me to bring to the table that's going to make it work. Better or add to it in any way. God opens my eyes. I see my sin. I see my hopelessness. I cry out the words that others in scripture have cried out. What must I do? Or what can I do? And the, 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 the can I do is nothing. What must I do? Well, I must confess with my mouth. I must believe with my heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he has saved me. And when I rest In that truth, I am now at peace with God. I have been reconciled with God. I am made righteous, accepted as righteous, treated as righteous by God. I don't know who put this together in this sense because it wasn't annotated by anybody in particular, but it It was Christ was made sin, we, you know, looking at this, Christ was made sin, we are made right. Sinless Christ was treated as a sinner, we as sinners are treated as if we were sinless. Christ was punished, we were justified. We were reconciled. 518 of 2 Corinthians, we see clearly all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Verse 17 says that we are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. and come. And he gave then, now that the reconciliation has happened to us, it says he gave us, Those reconciled. The ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says, entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I want you to hopefully grasp this part then. If we have been reconciled, we haven't been reconciled to just sit back, but he turns around and says, As a result, we have been called, not just a few of us, but all of us, have been called to be ambassadors for Christ. He has entrusted to us that message of reconciliation. Who better to explain the message of reconciliation than one who has experienced it? Peter tells us very clearly, be prepared to share what God has done. 1 Peter 3.15 Matthew chapter 28 Mark chapter 16 tells us that we are to go out and to make disciples and to baptize and to teach and to raise up people in Christ so that they will what? Do the works of the ministry according to Ephesians which part of that is to be ambassadors messengers uh, of Christ with the message of reconciliation. Acts 1.8 said that Jesus said very clearly there, as the, as the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them, that they were to go first to Jerusalem, right where they were, then to Judea, the rest of the Jewish culture, then to Samaria, which most Jews would have looked at and said, oh, I can't go there. But in Christ and reconciled, and I realized that this message is for everyone, now I can go even to Samaria. In fact, he says, and to the rest of the world. Interesting thing happened, though, and, and just a side note. The church got, I think, kind of complacent in sense of staying in Jerusalem. Normally, you'd look at something and say, persecution has got to be something that just... How does that fit into God's plan? But Acts chapter 8 verse 4 tells us very clearly again that the church as it was persecuted and they were caused to flee Jerusalem carried the message of Christ to where? The rest of the world. We have a message. The ambassador has a message. Be reconciled to God. And it is a matter of life and death. There is an absolute sense of urgency to it. The reason why Paul frequently uses the words beseech, implore, is because of the sense of urgency. You know, as a church, we go through seasons of where it appears like Everything on the horizon is pointing to end times now. And it's interesting, just in the the brief time that I've been a Christian, when you compare it to millennia, you know, just the brief time that I've been a Christian, there's been several times where we've looked over at what's going on in the Middle East and we say, it must be happening now. I remember the first Iraq war. I was thinking, man, this is it. God's going to be coming back any moment now. over and over and over again as we see turmoil and, 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 and war and rumors of war and, uh, and tremendous earthquakes and, and weather situations around the globe. And we say, all of this must happen and, and then God's going to return. But it says that, actually, he says those are the birth pangs of his return. And it's a, it's a process. Do you realize almost every generation since... Paul and the writers have been thinking, it's my generation that he's going to come. Paul had even addressed, nah, he hasn't come yet. Don't get worried about those who have died, though. You know? But it was pointed out to me a number of years ago how we, see, we get that sense of urgency when that happens. We've got to go out and tell people. But it was, Like I said, it was pointed out to me. It is always in times for your generation. Think about it that way. It's always in times for this generation because this generation comes to an end. We all eventually die and we all need to be hearing the message of reconciliation before that happens. The urgency is constant. Acts chapter 17 verse 6. Paul and Silas approaching, uh, I think it might have been in the area of Thessalonica, but 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 just uh, uh, the next place of ministry for them. And the people looked ahead and said, and because you know reputation sometimes precedes you, they said, "Oh, look, here come the guys who are turning the world upside down." They meant it negatively, upside down. What were they doing? They were sharing people with Christ. And as they accepted the, the Savior, others were saying, oh, that's turning everything upside down. They won't worship our gods anymore. They won't worship you know, all of these kinds of, of problems that will come from this. But the reality is that they were turning the world right side up. And there was that sense of urgency in their message. Trying to wrap this up a little bit this, uh, this morning, is I'm, I'm taking something from uh, W.A. Criswell, and, and he says,
1: as a new creation
0: of God, believers have a new calling as ambassadors of Christ. Their assignment is to declare the message of reconciliation. This task is to be carried out with a sense of urgency. As believers, ambassadors, we are to implore, beseech men to be reconciled to God. Paul put it this way in verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. At communion, we gather around the table because we have been reconciled with God. And we are reminded every time we share in communion how this occurred. Christ's body was broken for us. His blood poured out for us. So that it would be finished, accomplished, completed. That we might be reconciled. He that knew no sin became sin. Yet while we were sinners, he died for us. Christ, the son of God. God in the flesh. Our savior. Redeemer. Reconciler. I ask the ushers to come and to pass the communion out hold it until we've all been served and then we'll share together if there's anyone here today who needs prayer in response to anything that I've shared this morning while they're passing out the communion if you want to come forward for prayer feel free to do so if not catch me after service to pray with you
1: I am fair, broken easily without fail My strength is failing me all alone How will to lift myself. I his blood.
0: I waited for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We kind of sang that right there, Psalm 40. And it reminded me that this is exactly what we have shared this morning. I'm stuck in a pit of miry clay. I can't get out. I've shared this before with you. It's pouring rain is the you know is the idea in a sense, and it's just every time I try to climb up the edge of this pit in the clay, I may make some headway in my head in the way of thinking, but I can't get out. I keep sliding back down. It gets worse. It gets deeper. And I have that picture of the idea of miry Uh, bog is kind of like the 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 south end of the bay when the tides out. And if you walk out there very far, people used to clam out there. I don't know if anybody does this anymore because you walk out there and even if you have the the waders on, you know, you go you know, sucking you down and the next thing you know you're stuck. You really can't move. What happens when the tide starts to come in? That's my picture of it. As as the tide's coming in, I'm stuck in the miry clay, and I'm crying out to God. He hears me, and he pulls me out, and he sets me over on the rock. And in this case, the rock that can't be moved, it's Jesus Christ. And he puts a new song into my mouth. I've been reconciled. He puts a new song into my mouth, which I can't help but share. The song of reconciliation, and others will hear All of it accomplished through Christ. Giving us the picture of, of, of communion and the emblems that he gave us at the Last Supper. Taking the bread, breaking it after he gave thanks. And saying, this is my body that's been broken for you. What a graphic picture of Christ being wounded and scarred and in and, and, and pain for us. The penalty of our sins on him in the flesh, for us. And he asked that as often as we would eat this bread, we would do it in remembrance of him. Somehow, in my mind, that should have been sufficient. The God of all creation, wounded and torn for us, That was not enough to cause the reconciliation to happen. The sin had to be paid for. The life had to be poured out. The life was in the blood. And so Jesus took the cup as a symbol of that and said, this is my blood that's been poured out to purchase the covenant, to purchase the reconciliation. And he asked us as often as we would drink this together again to do so in remembrance of him. Would you pray with me? Father, again, we come with thanksgiving. Resting in the grace that you have poured out on us and the reconciliation that you have provided for us. Thank you. Lord, give us the willingness to be taking the message of reconciliation, to be ambassadors for Christ. I think of what Paul said in, 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 in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of salvation, the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of this. How could we be? Because look what it's done for us. Cause us to be like David in that song, set on the rock with that new song, and that we will simply sing it such a way that others will hear. And Father, give us the eyes and the ears to see those opportunities, to hear the opportunities to speak your word to someone who needs to know reconciliation. And also, Lord, not just that needs to know, but those who have received you read and rest in their salvation, but Lord, don't rest completely. Cause them to draw together into a fellowship where, Lord, they can be blessed, encouraged, and see how awesome your grace is here and now, and not just in time to come. And that we can rest with all confidence, that all things work together for the good of those who believe. As We rest in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close? Mm -hmm.